0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to the second chapter of Acts. And this morning... We're talking about the teaching and life of the early church. We saw last week that the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And today we're, we're, we're looking at sort of a snapshot of what the teaching of the early church was like and what the, the life of the early church was like in the sense of their community life. As a, a church, and so we can learn so much as a 21st century church from the 1st century church. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week. And we're looking at Peter's sermon, which begins in verse 22. So let's look at verse 22 through the end of chapter 2. Follow along in your copy of God's word. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Father, we pray that as we take a look today at what the teaching of the early church was like and what their their life was like as a, a body of believers, Lord, help us to learn, help us to put into practice in our lives and in our church what we see here. We pray that you would apply it to our lives through your spirit now. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, unless Jesus returns before it happens, at some point over the next few years or maybe the next few months or even the next few weeks, The news is going to come down that Billy Graham has passed away. He has lived for almost a century. And if you look at the past century of Christian history, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who has had more influence than Billy Graham. There's nothing about his background (laughs) that would lead us to think that that would have been the case. He didn't come from a lineage of preachers. He's born on a farm in North Carolina. He dropped out of his first college because he felt it was too strict. And he had a famous conversation with the president of that college when he told him that he was transferring to another college. The president of that college said, young man, if you transfer from this college, you'll never amount to anything. And uh, when it was clear that he was amounting to something... The same individual said, Billy Graham has set back the cause of Christ 200 years. And Billy Graham famously responded, I had hoped to set it back 2,000 years. And what he meant by that, of course, was that he wanted the present day church to be more like the church that we read about in the book of Acts. So what can we learn from that Church. That's what we're talking about today. Now, listen, it's easy to romanticize it. You know, if you were to look at verses 42 through 47 in isolation, you might think that the early church had no problems. But as we continue to read through Acts, we're going to see that was not the case. And you can read the epistles and see that was not the case. They had plenty of problems. They had problems externally, they had problems internally. Problems from without, problems from within, from without, they were dealing with persecution and opposition. From within, they dealt with conflict and false doctrine and different kinds of things. It was far from perfect, far from perfect. Nevertheless, there are so many things that we can learn from this snapshot of the early church that we see in Chapter 2, both about the teaching of the early church and about the life of the early church. So let's look, first of all, at the teaching of the early church. What what do we see here? When we look at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, it, it really gives us a good snapshot of what we're going to to see when we look at the teaching in the book of Acts. Now, it varied slightly according to the audience, whether the sermon was directed toward Jews or Gentiles. In this case, it's Jews, but it always ends up in the same place, and we're going to talk about what that place is. First of all, it was focused on Jesus, (laughs) it was focused on jesus now before you say well of course it was think about some of the preaching that we that we, we, takes place in our own day where the focus is maybe not on jesus i mean there are a lot of churches that you can go to today and the and the teaching is going to be very political frankly Um, And, you know, it may be uh, right-wing politics or left-wing politics, but there's a lot about politics and not so much about Jesus. And Jesus in these churches comes across looking like a politician. In other churches, uh, the focus of the teaching is about how to have your best life now. The sermons tend to be uh, sort of pep talks for life. And Jesus, the Jesus that is preached in these churches, comes across looking very much like a motivational guru. In other churches, the teaching is uh, majors on rules. Lots and lots of rules. And the Jesus that is preached about in these churches comes across as sort of uh, the ultimate lawgiver, the ultimate rule enforcer. Ironically, these churches would consider themselves to be maybe conservative theologically, but the the bottom line of the teaching in these churches really ends up in the same place as liberal churches. The message is basically the same. Do better, try harder. In other words, law. What you see in the teaching in the book of Acts is gospel, not good advice about doing better and trying harder, but good news about a Savior who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we see this in Peter's sermon here, and, and, and look at verses 22 uh, and, and, and following. I mean, how does, how does Peter uh, begin here as he, as he begins to, to, to teach he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Again, in verse 23, this Jesus, the focus here of the message is all about Jesus and specifically about what Jesus has done, the work of Christ. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. He speaks about the fact that Jesus has been crucified and Raised. This is the good news of the gospel. Some years ago, there was kind of a fad in the Christian community of everybody wearing the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? And I'm not knocking the bracelets. I probably had one um, at at the time. Uh, but you know, I've often thought since then that maybe maybe a, a better question to ask than what would Jesus do maybe it would be more helpful both to our living and to our witnessing to to have a bracelet that said uh, WHJD. What has Jesus done? Because the first question, what would Jesus do, takes us to ethics. The second question, what has Jesus done, takes us to the gospel. And when the gospel gets deep within your heart and life, Ethics take care of themselves. When we begin to understand at a deep level what Jesus has done, when we understand the cross and the resurrection and the implications of the cross and the resurrection, when we begin to understand how much he has loved us, then the response of our hearts is to love him. And when you love God, then behavior takes care of itself. That's why Augustine said... Love God and do as you please, because he knew that if we love God, then we're not going to want to do what grieves him. We are going to want to do what delights him. And so the early Christian preaching was drenched in the gospel. Gospel teaching is not just sort of putting an invitation at the end of a sermon. Gospel teaching drives us deep into the cross, into the resurrection, into the implication of that good news. And there's more power in that than in all of the feel-good motivational sermons in the world. Paul speaks about his, his preaching in First Corinthians two, one and two, and he says there, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And of course, what validates the work of Jesus on the cross is his resurrection. And so, in the early Christian preaching, what you see is this continual emphasis on the cross and the resurrection. And the Spirit took that type of teaching and the Spirit uses it to draw people to the Lord because it's the power of God for salvation. So, The early Christian preaching was focused on Jesus. Second, it called for a response. It called for a response. Verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, the resurrection and ascension of Christ means that Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. And the issue at that point becomes, are we living in joyful allegiance to this king, or are we living in rebellion against this king? And if we're living in rebellion against him, there's something that we have to do. And Peter's listeners here are are very clear. They understand the implication of this, that it demands a response. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter was very clear about what they were to do. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. That was the first thing. Now to call them to repentance was not something that Peter had come up with on his own. Peter's heard Jesus preach for three years. When we studied Mark, what did we see that characterized the teaching of Jesus? What's the first thing Jesus said when he began to teach publicly? Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus would preach, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So, to repent means to turn, to uh, to turn around. I mean, if you're headed down a highway and the end of that highway is eternal separation from God, what's the only sensible thing to do? Turn around, turn around, repent and believe. That's the flip side of that coin. To believe in Jesus, not just kind of believe stuff about Jesus. But the call is to believe in Jesus. That means to commit your life into his hands as savior and as king. And then what else does Peter say in in, in verse 38? He says, repent and be baptized. The sign in the early church that they were serious about following Jesus, about repentance and faith, was baptism. And I was talking with Our friend from North Africa this week, and most of you know who I'm talking about, and I don't like to say his name when I'm being recorded for security reasons, but he's a part of our church family and spends a lot of time in North Africa, and I was talking to him this week about how things were going, and he was talking about believers from a Muslim background, and he was saying, this is how you can always tell when they're serious. It's one thing for them to make a profession of faith. It's one thing for them to pray a prayer. But when they get baptized, they're serious because they know the the implications of that. And that's, that's the way the early Christians understood baptism. That's the way that many people around the world understand baptism today. They understand that in being baptized, you are identifying your life with Jesus, you are saying, The old is gone. The new has come. You're burning your bridges. And we need to recapture the radical step that baptism is. Listen, there is something powerful. When you take that step to be baptized and and you say, this is my life. This is who I am. I'm identified with Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. I am a follower of Christ. And listen, we're called to take that step. Baptism is not something that some Baptist church council invented. Baptism is something that Jesus ordained and commanded us to to, to be baptized as a sign that we're serious about being his follower. A few years ago, I was in Bangladesh, a place where believers are routinely killed because of their faith in Christ. And we were at a gathering there and some people had said they were ready to be baptized. And I'll never forget how the person preparing these people to be baptized, the questions that he asked. And they were being asked in, uh, in Bengali and translated into English so I could understand what was being said. But the first question that these Bengali believers were asked before they were baptized was this, Are you willing to die? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in The Cost of Discipleship that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus says in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Think about the implications of that word daily. So yes, in following Jesus, we should be willing to die for him if it comes to that. But also in following Jesus, it means that we should be willing to live for him daily. And in order to daily live for Jesus, there has to be a daily dying to self that we might live for the one who died for us and was raised. These are the kinds of things that were talked about in their early Christian teaching. Let's take a look at their Life, which we see in, in verses 42 through 47. We, we, we get a snapshot here. We get a picture here of what their life as a community was like. And I want us to look at several principles. First of all, we can see from these verses that it was a word-centered church. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, all of the first followers of Jesus were Jews, and so they were people of the book. They were very used to worship in the synagogue where the the scripture was read and taught, and so that was carried over into their worship. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, part of that teaching was about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. You get a flavor of that in Peter's sermon here, don't you? And then part of the Apostles' teaching was that they were teaching what was eventually going to become our New Testament. So when it says they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, it means they were devoting themselves to the word that. Comprise the Old Testament and what was going to eventually make up the New Testament. They were a learning church. And what they were learning, what they were devoted to learning, was the Word of God. So, this is the first mark of a healthy church, a church that believes and teaches the Bible. If a church believes and teaches the Bible, it may take a while, but eventually that church moves towards health. And the things that are crooked begin to be made right as we become more and more a body that is saturated with the Word of God, that believes it and teaches it. First of all, the call is to believe it. In other words, it means that we affirm the full truthfulness of Scripture. It means that we submit to the authority of scripture, that we place our lives under the authority of the word of God. It means that when any issue comes up, whether it's doctrinal or moral or whatever, it means that we, we humbly ask the question, what does the Bible teach? And so instead of sitting in judgment of the word, we allow the word to judge us. Instead of placing ourselves arrogantly over the word, it means that we place ourselves under the word. That's what it means to believe it. But in order to discern what it teaches and to live that, what must we do? We have to teach it, right? A church that teaches the word. I don't have to tell you. I mean, there are a lot of churches in our country that are not teaching the Bible. And in some cases, you can understand it because, you know, they're more liberal theologically or whatever, and so they don't necessarily uh, believe it. You kind of wouldn't expect it to be taught in those contexts. But there are an awful lot of churches that claim to believe the Bible but don't really teach it. And they may read a text as part of their worship, but they don't seriously interact with the text. Uh, They don't seriously dig into the text and try to understand what that text is saying. They don't kind of go through books of the Bible so that they're truly learning the Bible. And the result of that to believers in our culture is devastating because people are sitting ducks. And so when issues come up in their lives and when issues come up in the culture then instead of being able to think biblically, that they might live biblically, it means that they're going along with the culture. They're going along, you know, with, uh, uh, with media or TV or just sort of the overall drift of, of the culture. And it's tragic. There's a film a few years ago called The Hurt Locker, and one of the themes of that film uh, was that if if soldiers showed up on the battlefield that were unprepared, untrained, I mean, they were just so vulnerable to the enemy, and the more experienced soldiers would refer to them as fish. We're called to be fishers of men, (laughs) but in order to do that, we've got to be steeped in the Bible. And that means not only teaching it in the context of our church, it means that we want our lives to be saturated with the scripture in the sense that we're digging into the Bible, not just one day a week, but seven. If I could tell you one thing that would just, in me overnight, that would drastically improve your spiritual life, it would be to decrease the amount of time that you spend watching TV And cruising the internet and devote that time to pouring into your Bible. I mean, that alone would be revolutionary. So, it was a word-centered church. Second, it was a worshiping church. Uh, We get a flavor of their worship in verse 42. It says they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers, verses 46 and 47. says they were attending the temple together and breaking bread, verse 47, praising God. So all of these were elements of their first century worship. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, in verses 42 and 46, the breaking of bread. And this means not only were they sharing meals together, although that was a part of it, but part of their sharing meals was that they were sharing in the meal, the Lord's Supper, the meal that Jesus had taught them to practice the night before he went to the cross. And so what this means is that already, even at this early stage, that the Lord's Supper had become a part of their life, along with baptism. The, the ordinances of the church were being practiced. We see the breaking of bread, the, the verse 42, the, they were devoted to the prayers. One of the things that strikes you when you read the book of Acts is that these people were praying. And I think they were praying, they seemed to be praying a lot more <laughs> than what our church and what most churches in the 21st century are praying. Verse 47, they were praising. Now again, singing was something that was carried over from Judaism. In the Old Testament, we have a, we have a, hundred, a book of 150 psalms. We sung one of them this morning. But they were very used to uh, singing as a part of worship when you read Ephesians 5, Paul there kind of gives a flavor of what the early church worship was like. He says, worship the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we go through Acts, we're going to see that even when some of the leaders of the church are imprisoned and beaten and strung up, what are they doing in the middle of the night? Singing praises to God. So when you put this together, apostles' teaching, breaking of bread prayers praise i mean when you when you put these things together what you see in the early church is not a lot of hype or programming or complicated choreography it's very simple very simple very basic very powerful a worshiping church. Third, it was a loving church. Verse 42 uh, talks about their devotion to the fellowship. And, and fellowship means more than just kind of hanging out together, although that's certainly a part of it. But the original Greek word for fellowship carries the idea of a sharing in. Sometimes it's even translated that way. You get the idea of their sharing in verses 44 and 45, it says, "All who believe were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need." I mean, they were really putting their money where their mouth was, as far as loving other people. They were living out, First John 3:18, which says, "Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." And it's really clear when you look at other passages about their generosity that this was a a planned, regular part of their life as a church. Look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. Paul kind of gives you a flavor of it here. He's writing here to a first century church, the church at Corinth. And what does he tell them? He says, on the first day of every week, that would be resurrection day, Sunday, the day that they would worship together, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So what does this tell us about their giving? It tells us that it was regular, right? That it was systematic, that it was planned. It was not something that was sporadic. Paul is telling them here, he says, look, I want you to plan for this. I want you to plan to give. You know, as God is giving to you, I want you to regularly, just uh, as a normal, even weekly part of your life, that you're to, to set this aside as and the understanding that this belongs to the Lord and it's to be given through your local church. Now, again, th- they are they are drawing from Judaism because in the Old Testament, even the poorest Israelite was required to tithe. And the tithe, the setting aside of a tenth, is still a great way to learn how to give, and then we learn to give beyond the tithe, as God blesses us. But that's what Paul is saying here, in 1 Corinthians 16, is that our giving is not to be something that's haphazard or sporadic, um, Yes, there may be times when we want to just give something an offering spontaneously yeah let's let 's leave room for that, but in addition to that, Paul is saying here that that part of the Christian life, just the normal part of the Christian life, is sort of that that ongoing regular setting aside, planned, regular, systematic giving, whether you do that by writing a check or whether you have it as we can do today and have it just drawn out of our account or, or whatever. Okay, that, The means don't matter, but it should be regular, planned, and the tithe is a great way to begin that. Um, because it helps us to see how we can never outgive God and how God continually comes through and it builds our faith and it blesses the church and it's just a win win all the way across the board. And so they practice their love through their giving and also through their opening of their homes. Look at verse 46. He says that they were breaking bread in their homes. There's something powerful about when we open up our homes to one another. It helps, it helps to open our hearts to one another. There's something about a home environment that's very relaxing and that helps to build relationships and open hearts as we open our homes to one another. That was, their hospitality was a part of the way that they showed their love. And then we see in verse 47 that it was a witnessing church. A witnessing church. Verse 47 says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now listen, that's not happening (laughs) unless those believers were sharing their faith. It didn't happen because a few of them were doing it. It happened because, you know, they were basically an army of people out there sharing what the good news of what Jesus had done. So they were a witnessing church. Now let's put this together. I tried to do this this week and read this text afresh and anew and just ask, okay, what is the big takeaway from this? When you look at the teaching and the life of the early church, what is the kind of the big overarching thing that just strikes? And and what struck me in a way that it really never has before is how simple and how repeatable all of this is. You know, I've been to lots of conferences, pastors' conferences and things through the years where maybe a model of a church, a modern-day church, is presented. And, and what you come away with a lot of times from those modern-day models is, how in the world are we gonna repeat this in our context? When you look at the model of the church... In Acts 2, what strikes me is the opposite. (laughs) How repeatable this is. I mean, what's happening here that we can't do? I mean, can we teach the Bible? (laughs) Can we pray? Yeah, we should be doing a lot more of it, but could we do it? Yes. Can we joyfully praise God? I mean, can we joyfully give? Can we open our homes to one another? Listen, the issue here with all of this, the question is not can we? The issue for us to wrestle with is will we? Will we? Let's pray. Father, we, we pray for grace to be more like the biblical church that we see here. Lord, we we pray that you would give us grace um, to be formed and shaped as a people, more and more by your word, both as individuals and as a church family. We pray that, that your spirit and your word would just increasingly form us and shape us into the image of Christ. And we pray it in his name, amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you more about knowing Jesus and the implications of that, we'd love nothing more than to come alongside you and just to pray with you. We're gonna be here during our time of invitation today. We'll we'll be here for you afterwards. Um, If you've got questions, you want someone to pray with you, please let us know that you're invited to come. If, if you're here today and God's speaking to you of just about our church family and you want to pursue membership, we we would love to to talk with you more, love to have you in Discovering FBC right after our service um, today. Uh, but we just want to extend that open heart, that welcome to you. There's a need in your life today. Don't leave here today without talking with someone and praying with someone. That's That's what we're here for. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can i honor god with the rest of my life well when you love someone you want to spend time with them we get to know god through his word through prayer and through his people i would encourage you to pick up a copy of the bible and begin to read it begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the bible is preached where christ is exalted and where his love is flowing if you're local i want to invite you to the church i pastor first baptist church of suffolk virginia